Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the Everyday Association Professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. Association professionals often describe themselves as experts on membership, meetings, education, and a variety of other topics. However, one area which many prefer to avoid is legislative advocacy. These discussions and battles often feel overwhelming and force us to navigate an area of work that we aren't comfortable with. We find there are new forms to complete, compliance to ensure, and that's just with the government. That doesn't even take into account how we manage these conversations with our members to best help advocate for them or to protect their ability to operate and do their jobs. Today, we've got a great guest who can help us understand how to approach advocacy and how we see this play out in ISAE to support our own industry. Our guest is Kim Williams, MBA, Vice President of Association Management with Accordion Group. Kim has over 28 years of experience working with membership organizations and began her statehouse experience as a Senate intern in 1987. She's worked with the Indiana Academy of Ophthalmology since 1989 and has served as their executive director since 1994. In addition to her management responsibilities for the associations, Kim serves as the lobbyist with the Indiana General Assembly and other regulatory agencies for the associations managed by the firm, as well as working with clients of the firm as needed. Welcome, Kim. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about a topic that is one that honestly, probably many of us prefer to typically shy away from if we can, but I think we've got a great expert here for us today to talk about it. So before we begin, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey, how you've gotten to where you are today and and why advocacy is so important to you? Of course. As a lot of people in my position, I started out as a um, poli-sci major who was planning to to go off to law school and go work in a big corporate um, law firm and make scads of money. Um, didn't My journey didn't go there. <laughs> um, I um, ended up doing an internship with the Indiana Senate that you mentioned, and I fell in love with the process and with policy. And I knew after my one semester as an intern, um, being in a courtroom was not going to be my destiny. Um, I chose not to go to law school. I do have a number of, of um, colleagues as lobbyists that have chosen the, the law school route, but you don't have to be an attorney to be a lobbyist. And that's probably a myth number one that we can start crossing off of, of the list today. Um, you don't have to have gone to law school. Um, I have been involved in particularly healthcare um, since the beginning of my, my lobby career. And um, I, I just have continued to do those type of things. I fell into the association world, which again, a lot of us do. Um, not many people, at least when I was um, in school, set out to be an association executive. That wasn't a, a course track um, to follow. But, you know, my love for associations and governmental affairs has served me well. And I'd like to thank the associations that we manage and do governmental affairs for. That's great. Yeah, it's a common theme, I think, right, that we we find, I think, ourselves falling into some of these positions and then really finding a passion for the work that we're doing. and then. It becomes our career. It's exciting. It does. And, and I've had some great mentors. Um, starting off my career, I have worked with former speakers of the house and former chief of staffs to the to the governor's office. I've worked with other big policymakers in the state. Uh, you know, currently I'm in a firm now um, that 
We have people who have been state senators. We have people who have served in the administration, in different administrations, or have been lobbyists for other associations. So it's exciting to have all of that kind of interaction as well. Yeah, absolutely. So as we we think about advocacy or legislative affairs, however, right, some associations may call it different things. But as we think about that umbrella, I feel like it's a pretty broad topic sometimes. Uh, I think there's a lot of components that could go into advocacy. So as we start our conversation, can you tell me how you would define advocacy um, or how you would start that conversation maybe with somebody who hasn't done a lot of advocacy work? In my in my world, it's one sentence. It's building relationships between your association and policymakers. Hmm. That's what advocacy is. Those people who have an opportunity to interact or intersect with the association at a policy level, whether it's federal, state, local governments, if it's a regulator in an agency um, of the state, if it's city and town governments, um, anybody who has the ability to change something that happens within your association being a policymaker, it's all about that relationship. I think you're right, Nick. It's so many people think about elections as advocacy, and that's what they think about advocacy. It's about so much more than that. Dealing with those policymakers and helping them to understand what it is that that we're advocating on behalf of. And how do you, I mean, if you don't have somebody on your staff, right, who is a specific person who's in charge of this, how do you start to build those relationships? How do you make the time to actually go and make sure you're doing that and to really identify the appropriate people that you need to be building those relationships with? That's a huge question. And, <laughs> and, and you know, the lobbyist in me wants to say, well, everybody needs to have a lobbyist. But the lobbyist in me will also say, you probably already have a number of lobbyists and you just don't know it. Mm. You know, so many of us already have lobbyists. If you belong to professional associations or if you are a part of your homeowners association where you are, you have policymakers that are are interacting with you as a homeowner. You, You are your own lobbyist. So I think it's a matter of understanding who it is you need to have contact with. It's a matter of understanding what your goal is. Um, And then that's an easy way to to decide who you need to talk with. Um, We all all have assigned policymakers. You know, you live in a Indiana House district. Mm -hmm. You have an Indiana state senator. It's important to know who those people are. Um, You have a U.S congressperson, you have a U, two U.S. senators, knowing who they are, um, knowing how to reach them as a constituent, and making sure that if something is an important enough matter to you, that you do that. So if you're starting this process, right, how do you determine what is the best person to reach? So you're mentioning, right, like knowing your federal and your state level, how do you decide what's the appropriate place to go? Because I think a lot of associations, I think automatically just assume that lobbying is primarily at the federal level, right? And if we can't lobby at the federal level, then what's what's the point, right? So is it 
Is it a different approach when it's federal versus state? Um, is one more important than the other? I don't know. How do you how do you kind of play um, or hedge those bets um, sure. on the, the advocacy table? And and they are very different. There are different rules and requirements, um, particularly if you are professionally doing that and not just as a constituent. Um, so if you as an association have a governmental affairs representative, the way that they interact at the federal level is very different than the way that they interact at the state level. Um, there are reporting requirements and you know lots of hoops to jump through and transparency and all those good things that we want to happen in the world um, because those are things that we need to know about, but also knowing that that they are different. Um, but again, professionals will know that and would be able to, to help you step through those issues. If you're doing it as constituent, I mean, it matters on what it is you're, you're advocating on behalf of. If you wanna to talk to, you know, if you have a problem with your passport, it happens a lot, <laughs> you need to talk to your US Senator or your Congressperson. Um, if you're concerned about your taxes that you pay at the state level, that's your state representative. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the kinds of things that I think, you know, knowing where your issue is and, and what it is you're advocating for determines on where you're going to go. I think a lot of associations will try to shy away from advocacy sometimes, right? Because it does feel overwhelming, and especially if it's a, a state by state kind of thing, right? So we're a national organization maybe, but we operate obviously everywhere. And so we've got to think about how that plays out in each of the states. Um, what are some of the key resources then that an association should make sure that they have in place so that they can tackle those, those situations in the variety of localities that they might have to go and advocate for? So again, you know, a lot of this does depend on if you're a national association where you're housed in multiple states, or if you're a state association, a group like ISAE, for instance, has a governmental affairs committee. I've served as co-chair of that committee for a number of years. And one of the, the tools that we make available to our members here in Indiana is a bill track list. So as pieces of legislation become available to the public for review, we review all of those bills and put them on a bill track list so that the members of the association can go look anytime during the legislative session and see what's out there. What pieces of legislation are being considered by the state legislators? You know, what is it that they're talking about this session? At the federal level, that's a lot more complicated mm -hmm. and there are different tools to use that, that you can go look at all the pieces of legislation out there. Obviously, I have to be an advocate on behalf of ASAE. They are a tremendous resource and do a fantastic job at the federal level on advocating on behalf of associations um, and to keeping on top of the, the issues. They have resources through, through that organization, which help with associations generally. However, if you're trying to decide you know, my national association that I am now running, pick your association, you know, we'll use ophthalmology because we mentioned that in kind of my bio. 
You know, there is an Indiana Academy of Ophthalmology of which I have been a part for a long time. And, you know, we advocate at the state level um, on a variety of issues. The National Association does work with the federal government and they have government relations folks, just like we have here in Indiana, that talk about those bigger picture things. So, you know, they have resources available for their members. I mean, there are all kinds of tools out there, you know, voter voice or quorum or ways to connect your membership with, with their federal legislators. Lots of tools are available for each association. I think as we think about legislative issues, and, and I think this happens even just personally, right? Um, I don't typically care a lot, maybe, about legislative things that are happening until suddenly something has come up that impacts me directly, right? Um, and I think we see this a lot with our members of our own associations that we don't hear a lot from them until suddenly a state passes some kind of a tax bill or there's some kind of employment bill that passes or there's some law, right, that gets implemented without their opinion or without their, their input that changes how they have to do business or their licensure or their certifications, you name it, right? But that we, we probably didn't care a lot until suddenly that happens. And so how do we get members of our association <laughs> to care about these things when it doesn't seem like anything is impacting them yet, right? And I hate to kind of play this like doomsday feel, right? Like something's going to come up down the road. So make sure you're focusing on this. But how do we keep them engaged in that process? Nick, if I can find the answer to that, um, <laughs> I'm going to bottle it and sell it to every association across the country. And I'm retiring <laughs> and moving to an island. You know, I think you're right. And, and I think that that's part of, of the problem or the goal or, you know, that's something that has been a, a strategy for our Indiana ISAEs, Governmental Affairs Committee, for a number of, of years, is how do we engage the members? How do we show the members that while you don't think that the Indiana General Assembly affects you, it does? Mm -hmm. uh, again, you've mentioned paying your taxes, certifications, you know, where your kids go to school, when school starts, they set the start date, um, you know, what all of these things happen and, and even to all of those type of issues matter to our members. And how do we make sure that they understand that this is important? Because a lot of people see what's happening at the federal level. It's a little dirty. It's not something they want to get involved in. They think it's kind of ugly. You know, they just don't want to get involved in politics. So how do I, as a a constituent as, as somebody who wants to have my say with my policymaker, how do I have my say without kind of getting my hands dirty? I think is probably ultimately the question you're asking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter of keeping it in front of our members. I know that, you know, a lot of the associations that we manage, you know, they get weekly legislative updates. They have a bill tracked list. We have programs where we talk about this at, at conferences. You know, it's a matter of continuing to show them that this matters as much as what continuing education program we're going to host next month. 
these things matter to the association as a whole. You know, if we're going to pay sales tax on services um, and the, you know, the legislature's having this conversation, and there are lots of things that matter on a day-to-day basis. It's up to us to make sure that our members understand the importance of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I like your, your concept of just constantly putting it in front of them, right? Like, even if I don't read it every single week, at least it's there, right? And I can recognize that maybe, oh, now I see that that thing is happening. Maybe that does impact me. And maybe now I pick up the phone or I hit that reply email um, and I get in touch with my my government affairs folks. Well, I, and I will say, as much as I hate to admit it, long time user, <laughs> long time been around this this world, you know, when I do these membership surveys and do membership surveys across a variety of industries and, and our firm does manage a variety of associations across a variety of industries, when we ask, what do you find to be the most important member benefit that you get from the association? Advocacy is normally the first or second thing Mm. that they have. And I think a lot of that reason is, is they want their association to do it for them. Mm. They don't want to have to do it for whatever reason. They're, you know, our members are a little afraid. You know, this isn't something that's in their comfort level. So that's not something that they're looking to do. It's outside their comfort zone. So they're not looking to do that. It isn't, you know, kind of their thing to do. So they are looking for us as their association to make sure that that their voices are heard. And so I think that making sure that we are, we're doing that and we're letting our members know we've done it matters. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting concept of they want, they care a lot about it, but it's not something that they want to do. And, and I and I think I understand that, right? Like that is a concept, I think, of part of why you join an association, right? Sure. It's that concept of being stronger together and that I'm not the one that has to go and fight the battle. There's a group of people who I've entrusted with the ability to go fight for me. I mean, we all have checkbook members, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, we have that member who's going to write their membership dues payment every year. We may never see them an event. We hope that they're reading their e-blast and their newsletters as they're getting them. But you know, you can always count on them to write that check. I think a lot of ways that our members count on us to handle governmental affairs and advocacy on their behalf that same way. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So one more question before we get to maybe some some tactical experience from just the ISA realm. Um, you know, so we're talking about, right, different ways that members might be engaged. So we've got the checkbook ones, right? The ones that are just going to say, do it for me. Sure. Thanks so much. Really appreciate that. Can't wait yep. to, to partake in the benefit. But I also think we have some who this is, they're like, yeah, I want to be a part of this discussion. And I want to make sure, you know, I think especially for trade associations, if you've got, you know, a business owner or a company owner or whatever, right, that really wants to make sure that their opinion on whatever bill or whatever policy is is kind of in play uh, is going to be at that table, right, to have that discussion. So how do we, how do we balance the needs of members and the needs of the association slash industry as a whole um, when we're having these policy discussions, especially when we're having them with those policymakers. Because I think a lot of the times, I've heard this in my own association before that, you know, well, non-members get a benefit from our legislative work. Well, yeah, they do. Absolutely. 
but we can't not do the legislative work, right? Because somebody else might get a benefit. So how do we how do we balance all those opinions to then go to that policy maker and have that discussion? Well, I think, you know, you're exactly right. And it's even bigger than that. I mean, within some associations, certain policies benefit certain members at a different level than they benefit others. Or sometimes they are at odds with each other. I, I, I would say that's that's probably less likely, but it can happen. You know, I think that's when you have an active governmental affairs committee, um, a group of leaders who can take that and listen to the sides and put together those talking points and move it forward. I mean, you know, it's all one thing to say, you know, the associations that we manage have a lobbyist and And yes, I have a lot of experience in the General Assembly and I've been over there for a number of years, but I don't do anything without any of our legislative committees giving me kind of Mm -hmm. my marching orders to do that. I mean, our members are still our experts, right? And it's more than just being an expert in, you know, the the next professional development program that we're going to put on. They are, you know, the experts in in the industry. Mm. And and I truly do think that making sure that we have a governmental affairs committee that has the the authority to make quick decisions. Um, I think that's something and you know this is probably farther down the rabbit hole than we want to go, but you know I think a lot of um, associations tie the hands of their governmental affairs committee by wanting to make sure that there are processes that have to be met before the legis- before they can go testify at a leg- on a legislative issue. And unfortunately, those things move fast. You know, I, this is the short session of the General Assembly. It started this, this last week. Um, things are going to move quickly. And we are already starting to see pieces of legislation come out of, of committees. So mm. that means there has been committee testimony and committee activity Well, if we would have had to have gone to a governmental affairs committee who then would have had to have gone to a board of directors who then are executive committee who went to a board, you know, you have a multitude of of steps to jump through and hoops to jump through. The association may not have gotten their position heard. Mm. So I think that that's something also is to making sure that our associations have the appropriate response kind of criteria for these quick moving issues that happen, at least at the state level. It most definitely is not quick happening at the the (laughs) national, at the federal level, Yeah, but at least at the state, in almost every state, things happen at a fairly rapid, at a pretty rapid pace. Okay. So the more local the issue becomes, typically the faster it's going to The quicker it moves. Okay. Not surprising. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Few, I mean, I guess at some level, right? Fewer people to have to vet it through and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said maybe this isn't the rabbit hole we want to go down, but I, th- I think I'd like to. So uh, you're mentioning, right, we, many associations typically will, you know, kind of tighten the reins then on that group. So yes. what, what would be kind of some of the guiding principles? So maybe an association doesn't have a legislative affairs or a government affairs committee yet, or they don't have, right, some of these things, but what are, what would maybe be the top three things that if an association is thinking about putting a group like this together, what are the top three things that they need to make sure are in place to allow that group to be responsive enough, as you're mentioning, right, to be able to quickly move? But but maybe there are still some 
some restrictions that need to be in place, but how do you, you know, right? So how do you balance what are the top three things that maybe a group needs to be thinking about? Yeah. And well, one, I think it's making sure you have the right volunteers to serve on that, in that role. I mean, people who understand the process, people who care about the process, people who don't have their own agenda mm. in the process. So I think that that's probably number one key in that whole thing is making sure that you have the right people at the table making those decisions. I think you have to make sure that, that you know, your board is all bought in and willing to give up a little bit of, of authority. You know, it's very easy to say, you know, these are the guiding principles of the association. I mean, we all know what our guiding principles are. You know, I, I am not going to, as, you know, the lobbyist for, again, we'll use ophthalmology because they're my, my good example. I'm probably not going to go to the legislature and advocate on the gun bill. Probably just not going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure ophthalmologists have much of opinion on that. So I think, you know, setting those kind of parameters early and making sure that we all have those same goals matters. And then again, making sure that that we're following through with with compliance. And I think making sure that we have a good legal plan. And I know that sounds kind of scary, but it doesn't have to. But making sure that that we are being transparent where we need to be. So if we need to file something with the, the appropriate legislative body or, you know, um, in Indiana, and, and again, it's kind of my, my world, as a lobbyist, I have to register with the Indiana Lobby Registration Commission. I do as an individual lobbyist, and each of the associations that hire a lobbyist have to register with the commission. Hmm. So not only do you have to tell the commission that you are paying to have a lobbyist and that you have a professional um, representation, but then you have to twice a year, let them know how much you're spending to do that Mm. and what you're spending money on. At the federal level, I mentioned that they have federal requirements, same kind of concept. You have to go through that same process. There's a registration process. And I will say in Indiana, we also have that at the regulatory level. So if you are even advocating um, with some of the agencies, the governmental agencies, and you are a professional doing it on behalf of an association, there are those requirements. Hmm. And that means somebody who is actually getting paid to do that job. So it's not just somebody like me who works for a lobbying firm that the association has hired, but it could be an in-house person as well. So if Kim Williams is the in-house lobbyist for the Indiana Academy of Ophthalmology. I still have to lobby registration commission and go through that process. Hmm. Um, So I think making sure that those would be the top three things for me, making sure you have the right people at the table, making sure that everybody has the same goals and objectives in mind and making sure you're compliant and you have a compliance plan in place. Hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of adding that compliance plan, right? Because I think ideally it would make it a little less overwhelming. That's right. right? If you know the dates, you know, because all those things are already codified, right, for you. So you know these are the yeah, these are the dates I have to submit the paperwork. This is the kind of paperwork we have to submit. Absolutely. Um, And I think that that makes it more approachable for sure. And as you mentioned, right, if I'm lobbying in many states potentially, I need to be thinking about that for the several states that we might be um, doing that in, because each state might have slightly different rules. 
and, and likely do different rules, different requirements, different processes. I mean, I will say um, in Indiana, we, um, we are a first dollar registration person, you know, so I have to, I have to claim no matter if I take a legislator for a $75 steak dinner or a, you know, $4 Starbucks coffee. I still have to report that there is no dollar amount in other states. And I believe Kentucky is one of them. You can't take a legislator and and do that type of entertaining, Mm. you know, so, so knowing what the rules are makes a big difference as well, which is why I think that that compliance plan is so important. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, we're going to transition now to, okay. uh, you mentioned that you have um, been the co-chair of the Government Affairs Committee with ISAE for a few years. And so I want to, I think, talk a little bit about, and hopefully for our listeners, we can draw some comparisons or some ideas right from the work that Kim and her team have done for ISAE. And we can think about how we can apply those to our own associations. So can you just briefly maybe talk about what are some of the things that IACE's Government Affairs Committee has done or accomplished on behalf of our members? Sure. Well, I think, you know, again, we mentioned previously that we manage a bill track list. Mm-hmm. Um, that bill track list changes on an annual basis, and it will change throughout the legislative session. It is posted on the website. It is posted in almost every e-blast that I see. Um, you know, it's a click here to, to see the bill track. That is a live link. So you don't have to wait for somebody to update um, a bill track. If a bill changes on the House floor today, as soon as that happens in the system at the State House, your bill track is updated. So I think, you know, there's probably number one quick thing that happens. The committee has done a lot of work with, again, trying to raise, just generally raise the profile of governmental affairs. We've done that through a lot of of different ways. And, you know, when I stop and think back about some of the topics that the governmental affairs committee has brought to either convention or through special standalone webinars, a few years ago, we did a session at convention when the exempt status was going to change and the dollar amount was going to to change on what people could be considered exempt and non-exempt. That session was put together and and held by the Governmental Affairs Committee. A couple of sessions ago from that, we did a session on kind of emergency communications and, and, and contingency planning. It was kind of one of those oh no, something's come up and this is bad in our association. Now, what do we do? Those are all things that we think of in in governmental affairs. So the governmental affairs committee has continued to bring those type of issues. We've stayed on top of, in particular, charity gaming issues in Indiana Mm. and made sure that our members understand as charity gaming rules have changed, a lot of us hold raffles or silent auctions or, you know, you name it, what we we kind of do with our associations and making sure that our members understand as charity gaming has changed throughout the process, how that affects all of our associations and what that looks like. One of the, the things that I am most proud of, and I think 
I, I would like to claim a little bit of stamp on is Association Day at the State House. Mm. The association has done for a number of years a legislative luncheon, and we did a great legislative luncheon, and, and members always enjoyed coming to lunch and hearing the four caucus leaders come together to talk about issues that were happening at the State House. And that was great, and it kept our members informed but it didn't raise the profile of ISAE or associations with the legislature. We kind of listened to them be talking heads. So I had long advocated that we needed to do something in the state house. We needed to take ourselves to them because they weren't going to come to us. Mm -hmm. And so we have been doing association day at the state house for a few years now and it's our chance as the association community in Indiana to show our strength in Indiana and to be in the state house, to be in the rotunda of the Capitol, to talk to legislators as they come by to visit with us and to learn about what ISAE does and what each of our individual associations do and talk about the strength of associations and, and generally hospitality in Indiana. We don't leave our, our hospitality you know, partners out either. But I think that's probably one of the strongest things that ISAE does for our membership is making sure that, that we are on track with that and making sure that, that we have good data to share um, ISAE has some, some wonderful information that we can share about, you know, how many associations are housed in Indiana and how many people that employs and, and what does that do to the bottom line of the, of the state? And those are things that matter to legislators mm -hmm. and, and more than legislators. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I will mention our relationship with the Indiana Lieutenant Governor. Lieutenant Governor in Indiana is um, in charge of, of tourism. That's, you know, one of the roles of, of the LG. And I think the LG in Indiana understands ISAE, um, has attended our Association Day, um, spoke to us at convention recently, and shared her views on associations and how we're all working together. And, you know, how the state works. And I think, again, relationships. I, yeah. You'll hear me use that word time and time and again. And those are the things that, that truly matter in advocacy. You know, I think that's super interesting that you mentioned, right? Like that's something I've learned just today. I didn't realize that part of the Lieutenant Governor's responsibility was tourism. Yes. Um, I, I think as we think about then, right, our, our own associations and where we might need to lobby or advocate for our own industries that we might represent, thinking about who might be in charge of that vertical, that trade group, that industry, that profession. Because I think if we can get into the person, right, who is responsible for that area and we start to build that relationship, then when something does come out that would impact that, that's our go-to person, right? Um, I think that's super interesting, right, that now that would be a person, right? If again, something impacts all the meetings and all the associations in the industry, right? Again, that's somebody we can go to and say, Hey, this is not good for us. And therefore not good for Indiana and not good for you as lieutenant Absolutely. governor. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's exactly it. And, and I can't emphasize enough that it's more than just your elected officials. Don't get me wrong. They're ultimately important. And, and the governor and, 
and his role and the legislature and, and their role. But remember, there are a lot of state agencies that matter. And that is advocacy also, even on the regulatory side. You know, we, we always think about passing a law and passing a piece of legislation and, and what that is. But there are also things called administrative rules, which are as equally important and have the same same strength as a law. It just came through an administrative process. Hmm. So I work with um, the Indiana Department of Environmental Management regularly for one of the one of the associations that, that I work with. And so having a relationship with IDEM matters, making sure that that the those IDEM folks are invited to events, that we make sure that that they're on our speaker list to come and share their updates. So there are all kinds of ways to to enhance our our offerings to our members while at the same time building our relationships with regulators. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know making sure that you understand and that our you know our members and associations understand that it's more than just those elected officials where we have to to be good advocates. There are others in agencies um, and it might be somebody that that's surprising. You know, I think you mentioned workforce at one point. You know, we work a lot with workforce development in Indiana. And I think, you know, that's probably an area with the association world that we could maybe develop even a closer relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so as we think about, right, government affairs should not just be one singular person, right? Uh, if we, nope. Can draw a line here, similar to membership, right? Membership is everyone's job. Government affairs, building relationships is everyone's Everybody's job. job. <laughs> um, what are some of the key roles then that uh, an ISAE member right now, so a listener even potentially today, what are some of the key ways that either they could get involved or some of the key roles that they could play in government affairs? So I think number one is know who at least your state and federal legislators are. You know, I always say, know two names. Mm-hmm. It's really like knowing five names, but let's, <laughs> let's not get crazy. You know, if you know who your state legislator is, who your state senator is, if you send an email to them and introduce yourself, if you say, you know, I'm Kim Williams, I am, you know, a member of ISAE, and this is what ISAE does, and I also am the executive director or the membership coordinator or the event planner for name the association and my association cares. But more than anything, I want to offer myself as a resource to you. I think that is probably the number one biggest thing that our members can do Hmm. is make sure they know who their legislators are and that they start establishing their relationship (laughs) before they need to ask for something. Um, you know, we don't have an ask this year. Uh, we may have some, we may have some things we want to fight, <laughs> but uh, we don't have an ask. And that's, that's good. You know, mm-hmm. let legislators know who we are, that we care before, you know, we're pounding down their door to either say, I need you to do this, or I need you to not do mm-hmm. that. 
you know. I appreciate that approach because I think, again, that lends itself to this. How do we keep members engaged throughout Absolutely. the year or whatever, right? Because I don't want to just reach out to somebody. I think when we think about our own members, right, we want that same thing from our members. I don't want a member to call me just when things are bad. I want a member to be reaching out all the time to be talking about the things that the association could be doing better, ways that could improve for things they appreciated. Um, Those are the kinds of members I really appreciate working with, not the one that just calls me up every time something is wrong. And I, I, I feel like there's a parallel there for building that relationship with a legislator or regulator. You are absolutely right. And, and more than that, I think you have to remember that in Indiana, our General Assembly are citizen legislators. Mm. They are not professional legislators. So they all typically have a job back home, whether it's, you know, they're a farmer or an attorney or a business owner or an insurance salesman, you, you name it, you know, we have legislators with a variety of, of jobs that they do when they're away from Indianapolis. But because of that, they can't know everything there is to know about all mm-hmm. the topics that they are going to hear. You know, it is not unusual once you get later into a legislative session that in the same day, a legislator might be interacting on a piece of legislation affecting the state budget, something to do with taxes, something to do with education, a healthcare issue, probably an environmental issue. There could be some very large social issue that they're hearing a whole lot about um, on a social issue level. So legislators have to know all of these things and be able to interact on all of those bills. Again, in Indiana, our legislators don't have professional staff to help coordinate that. Mm. Typically, a senator probably shares a legislative assistant with two or three other senators. Mm. I mean, the House, it's about the same workload, three to four legislators per legislative assistant. And then during session, they have interns. Mm -hmm. They do have the legislative services agency attorneys, who, who help kind of put the words on the paper. But when it comes to doing research on all the different information that they need to interact on a certain topic, they need to, to rely on experts. And that's why our members need to offer themselves as experts. I love that. So if you're listening today, two <laughs> big things. One, know who they are. And the second, make sure that we're communicating with them before we need to ask either for something or for them to not do something. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being with us today. I I think we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time, uh, which is is really exciting. I think that this is, you know, obviously, again, a, a very overwhelming topic for a lot of people, but I think this conversation helps make it digestible and I think helps to begin that, just again, that starting point of where we think we can go. A couple final questions before we, we close out. So if you had one piece of advice as you look back on your career around advocacy, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew uh, when you first started this kind of work? It's, it's to be involved as much as possible. I think I, as a young person getting involved, I was intimidated by some of the longer term lobbyists in, in the hallway 
and in governmental affairs and maybe didn't put my foot forward as much as I should have. Um, I wish I'd have done more of that. Um, I think I had something to offer and may have held back, but I think just being involved more regularly and following my own advice. <laughs> I'm not sure I do a good job of, of advocating on my own behalf with my legislators because of, of what it is I do, but making sure that, that we do that kind of thing and, and being full, forward facing with our legislators. Absolutely. Well, thank you again uh, for being with us. If, if folks want to get in touch with you, they want to find you on social media, all those kinds of things, how, how can someone find you? Sure. So um, I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook as Kim Stanley Williams. Love to connect that way. I'm also on LinkedIn, Kim Williams, the Corden Group website, and my kwilliams at the Group.com email. Welcome all of those opportunities. Happy to have a conversation about starting governmental affairs committees. If you have concerns about compliance, you know, any of those type of things, always happy to have those conversations. And I think, Nick, there are so many things. I and mean, we didn't even talk about political action committees. Right. We yes. didn't even talk about, you know, fundraising and, and all of those type of things that you can do to, to further a relationship with the legislator once you get to know them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's another hour worth of conversation to have. Absolutely. Well, we'll have another episode, I think, in the future on those kinds of things that... Well, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like for us to explore, please send us an email at info at ISE.org. 